Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. We hope you enjoy the message. My name is John Warnock. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Dogwood Church, and I'm glad to be here with you today. Uh, Thanks for braving the rain um, or uh, recording the Masters Tournament, if that's what you got going on uh, today. I understand that, too. Uh, But we're glad that you're here and a part of uh, today. We are actually wrapping up our series uh, that we've been going through on the Ten Commandments uh, that we have called A Life That Wins. And if you'll remember, as we've gone through these Ten Commandments or these Ten Words, what, what what are they for? They help us to understand the character of God and knowing who He is and His character a little bit. But they also describe how we should relate to Him, relate to other people, But they also help us to realize our need for a Savior, don't they? Because if you remember a couple of weeks ago when Pastor Keith was talking about um, thou shall not uh, murder, we we jump to the New Testament, we see that Jesus really raises the bar. He says, listen, if you have hate in your heart towards someone, you're credited with murder. Or when we talked about the commandment that says thou shall not commit adultery, we realize Jesus' teaching takes it to a whole other level and says, hey, listen, if you lust after somebody... You're credited with adultery. And so we're, we're finishing that series today. It's, it's, it were, uh, the last commandment is found in Exodus chapter uh, 20, verse 17. If you've got a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there. We're going to look at that passage in just a moment. But as you're turning there, let me ask you a question. How many of y'all have ever wanted to have like some kind of superpower? Anybody? I mean, I, I, man, I can remember even as a kid, y'all, some, I'm going to date myself a little bit. The, great, the show, The Greatest American Hero, you know, the dude that couldn't fly really well. I mean, he never could land right. I wanted that power. That would have been awesome to have flown like that, except I'd learn how to land. The other, um, so over spring break, we got to see Captain Marvel, right? And we I saw all the different um, superpowers those people had. I thought, man, that's going to be awesome. And Endgame is coming up very soon, right? If you don't have your ticket yet, I heard people are selling them for about $3,000 for opening night. You're crazy if you do that. Go like the next day or a week later and join me three or four weeks later. It'll be fine. It's going to be fun. But superpower stories are good, and I like thinking about superpowers sometimes. Well, one of the superpowers I thought might be fun to have would be able to read people's minds. Have you ever thought that might be fun? No? Some of you are going, I don't want to know what other people think. Well, here's some of the things that, that you might hear if you had that power to read somebody's mind. If you showed up in different places, let's say you showed up at someone's house for a party and you look around and it's like a really nice house. And here's some of the things you might hear people say there. Wow, they sure all have a lot of nice stuff, don't they? I'm so tired of living where I live. I live in a dump compared to this. Wouldn't it be nice if Chris and Joanna Gaines could just come redo my house so that it looked somewhat decent? You might hear that kind of stuff. If you walked around here this morning in this room, you might hear, man, is this going to be over soon? I'm ready to go get lunch. Right? I got it. You might hear, wow, she is beautiful. Why couldn't my wife look like that? And I got a wow at the first service. Yeah, that would be bad, right? If you started hearing those things. Again, if you walked around here, you might actually hear someone thinking, where's Pastor Keith? My note sheet says it's him that's supposed to be on this page, right? I got you on that one. Yep. So Pastor Keith Keith is sick. He lost his voice uh, somewhere around Wednesday. He wore a sign on Wednesday saying, you can talk to me. I'll listen, but I can't talk back kind of a thing. Um, So I got the Bell South call to the bullpen yesterday. Um, Those of you that are Atlanta Braves fans, you'll remember that. Um, I'll try to do a little better than the Atlanta Braves bullpen has done recently, Um, even though they did win last night, thankfully. Um, but here's the other thing you might hear. You might hear, man, my car is a piece of junk. It's not fair that 
everybody gets to drive the new F-150. Why don't I get to have something like that? Or you might hear, we just got back from spring break, you know, here uh, in our area. And you might hear people think, man, that's just not fair. These people got to go to the Grand Canyon. They got to go on a cruise. They got to go to Disney. They got to go to Cabo. They got to go to Europe. I can barely afford to get in the car and drive to Grandma's house. Right? You might hear some of those kinds of things. Or you might even hear, man, they have a great job. Why am I stuck with this loser job that I have? I deserve what they have. I need what they have. Well, that's where we get to this commandment. Found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. It says this. It says, you must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. I like the way the message translation actually paraphrases this. It says, don't set your heart on anything that belongs to someone else. And we know what it means to set our heart on something, right? It's like this big, huge yearning desire that almost um, consumes us. Now, to be fair, Keith did give me a heads up on Wednesday that I might be giving this message. It wasn't just yesterday morning. And so Friday night, I was talking with um, one of my sons, and I was, he was asking, so dad, what are you going to be preaching? I said, well, thou shalt not covet. And he goes, well, what does that mean? And so I was like, well, it's, it's kind of like this really strong desire. And he kind of stopped and he goes, well, what's wrong with wanting something? And I went, you know, that's a good question. So I want to be clear and let you know that wanting or desiring something isn't necessarily bad in and of itself. God gave us desire. And in its proper place, it actually helps us to do things. Right? The... People had a desire to overcome sickness, and that's the reason why we have some of our vaccines and some of our antibiotics and some of the things that we have that we enjoy. Those are good desires. You can even go back into Scripture, and you can find two people in the Old Testament, one named Sarah, one named Hannah. We saw that they had a desire for children, and they cried out to God, God, give me a child. And we see that that God, excuse me, that that desire was good, and God blessed we see in the, in, in the book of Song of Solomon, we see the desire for intimacy with one spouse is a good desire. Now, don't panic. We're not going to bring out the Cheez-Its and talk about that again today. <laughs> for those of you guys that were here a couple of weeks ago, if not, um, go listen to the sermon a while back. But um, it, a desire for your spouse is good. In the book of Proverbs, we're actually encouraged to work hard and improve our situation in life. So desiring some kind of, of domestic or financial gain isn't in and of itself bad. It's not automatically wrong. And as a matter of fact, y'all, we should desire more and more of God. If you read throughout the whole book of Psalms, you'll read all kinds of Psalms that talk about, I desire to know you more, God. That's a good and healthy desire. So desire is not wrong. Matter of fact, getting rid of desire is a Buddhist teaching, not a Christian teaching. So we're not advocating that we don't want things. But the Bible teaches us that coveting is a problem when we want the wrong things or when we want the right things in the wrong way. That's what gets us into trouble. That's what gets us into trouble. We covet when we want for ourselves what belongs to someone else and as an expression of jealousy, envy, or even anger. Coveting is more than thinking, man, it sure would be great to have a house that the roof isn't falling in. That's not a bad desire, right? 
Coveting says, I want their house, or I deserve their house. I deserve his job. It's desiring something or someone that is not yours to have. Coveting is actually breaking the second great commandment that Jesus spoke about. The first commandment that he talked about was to love, your, the, love the Lord, right? The second great commandment was to love your neighbor as yourself. And when you begin wanting things that belong to someone else, you're not showing true love to them. Coveting is actually a major spiritual barrier in my life and probably your lives and in the life of Dogwood Church and fulfilling its mission of making more and better Christ followers who love God and love people. Because this is one of those sins that's somewhat easy to hide sometimes. But when we have sin in our heart, it damages us a little bit. And it makes us to, to where we're not as effective for Christ. And it's easy for it to creep in. I've been at, I've been at uh, conferences before with other churches, at big, huge churches, where you know 26,000 people go to the church. And we love those churches, by the way. But I've sat in those conferences, in their rooms, with all their incredible technology. And I've thought things like, well, of course they're reaching people like they are because they have way better technology and their screens look better than what we have. I know you're thinking, well, that's kind of silly, John, to be thinking about that. But listen, that's one of the things that goes through our minds sometimes when we start looking at what other people have. That's sin creeping into my life. And when sin's in my life, I don't, I'm not as effective for God as I could or should be. It's destructive in our lives. Second, we covet when our desire leads to an expression of discontentment. You know, you know your desire is getting off track when it, when it starts to leave you with an area of discontentment. And wouldn't you agree that in our culture today, it's actually really hard to live a life where you're not content? Right? We're bombarded with messages. You go to the mall and you see all kinds of new cool clothes and gadgets. And we trade in our phones every two years, not because they're broken, but because there's a new one out. Right? I'm not saying don't trade your phone in. Maybe you should. I don't know. But it's hard because there's these new things always coming out that we want. But they lead to discontentment. And Scripture says there's a, there are... Um, Five very specific effects that happen when we don't control this desire to acquire wealth or possessions or people. And the first one is this. It leads to fatigue in our lives. Now we get tired when we start pursuing the rat race and all of the stuff that's out there. Proverbs chapter 23 verse 4 says, Don't wear yourself out to get rich because you know better. Stop, it says. Now again, y'all, we should work hard. Proverbs earlier, we talked about, it, it talks about working hard. Working hard is actually smart. But if, but if your work, and you're working so much that you never see your family, and, it, and your job keeps you from connecting with other believers, to gather to worship or to gather in group, then you're in danger. You're in danger of, of your pursuit leading towards discontentment. And ultimately fatigue. It's one of the reasons why God gave us the Sabbath day. Was to, to cause us to remember him. And remember the relationship with other people. But there's a second effect. It's this. It's uncontrollable debt. Uncontrollable debt. The Bible says the more money you have, the more money you spend. 
It's absolutely true. Ecclesiastes 5.11. Listen, if the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, you can bet their water bill is higher too, right? Yeah. The third effect is this. The desire for things creates worry slash stress in our lives. Creates worry and stress. Ecclesiastes 5.12 says, A working man can get a good night's sleep, but a rich man has so much that he has to stay awake worrying. We worry about our, like our 401ks. We worry about our cars breaking down, our houses. We worry about stuff. Or, or it causes us stress. Five years ago, uh, my family and I moved down to the south end of Peachtree City. And I was so excited that the house that we were moving to had an outdoor sprinkler system. I need to call a timeout here for just a second and say, if you were talking to the 15-year-old John Warnock back then, and you would have said, one day you're going to be excited about a sprinkler system, he would have called you a liar. Okay? But five years ago, I was excited. You know why I was excited? Because I wasn't going to have to drag the hose around any longer and attach the thing and then go like, get your feet all wet as you're going out there and get grass all over your feet. I was excited about that. You know what I hate about my house now and that causes me more trouble than it's worth? is our stupid sprinkler system. I fixed that thing. I have become an expert at repairing pipe and repairing sprinkler heads. They break all the time for no reason. Like just out in the middle of the yard, boom, it breaks. Causes me stress. Not so much that I'm going back to the old sprinkler system yet, but I've thought about it. On Friday afternoon as I was down there working in all of it, trying to fix it, I thought, man, this is just not worth it. So all of our, these things that we go after, we try to acquire, they actually oftentimes lead to more worry and stress in our lives. But then you add those things together, fatigue plus debt plus worry and stress, and it leads to conflict. James chapter 4 verse 1 says, What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Isn't it because there's a whole army of evil desires within you? Now listen, I'm going to overstate the case for us as individuals for just a second. But think about back to every major conflict war that human history has seen. What is it over? It's over one group wanting something that somebody else has, typically. Uh, Now those things that they want, that all changes. But it's about getting land, or it's about getting power or resources. It's about stuff. Causes quarrels among us. Again, I know that's on a big scale, but that happens in our lives as well. All of these things ultimately lead to discontentment. And coveting, this desire for things, leads us, is the, actually is the number one reason for discontentment in our world and in our lives. Coveting is idolatry. It says, I can't be happy without this person, place, or possession. It says that those things that we're after, what it really is, what we really, how he really lives out in our lives is we are saying that those things are more important than Christ. And that's a dangerous place to be. It, it's, y'all, we as a church, we as followers of Christ, we have to remember that Jesus is really enough. Jesus is enough. And he is the one that we should focus in on. We'll talk more about that in just a few moments. But when we get our wants and desires out of whack... It causes all kinds of strife and bad choices in our lives. It's how we find ourselves, as I mentioned a few moments ago, in piles of debt because we just can't say no. We think, well, I deserve these things. Or it's how we find ourselves um, having inappropriate relationships with other people 
Because we are looking for intimacy with someone. And so we pursue these things where we go and we know that God is, we know what God's word says. But we're like, nah, I'm going to go do this because this is going to make me happy. Y'all, it's actually how we rationalize a lot of sinful behavior. We'll say things like, I know the Bible says this. I know the Lord wants this for me to do this. But doesn't God want me to be happy? And we go, well, yeah, God loves me. God wants me to be happy. Well, I know what's going to make me happy is this thing or this person. We rationalize our sin. Now, listen, y'all. It's not that God doesn't love us. God does love us. God wants you to be actually more joyful than he wants you to be happy. And I don't know about you, but what I've realized for me is, is, and Keith has said this to us a number of times, but my wanter is messed up. You know, the things that I think I really want are actually the things that probably aren't the best for me all the time. And so by me trying to rationalize, or you trying to rationalize and saying, hey, God wants me to be happy, therefore I'm going to do these things and disregard his word is a huge mistake. So what's the antidote? Well, the antidote is learning to live in contentment. Learning to live in contentment. Philippians 4.13 teaches us this. Uh, excuse me, 4.12 is where we're going to start. Paul is writing and he says, I know, <clears throat> I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. Paul's writing says, listen, it doesn't matter the circumstances. He's learned to be content. Now, the secret of that is found in verse 13, which is Jesus. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But he's saying, y'all, we need to learn this as well. I need to learn this. So how do we do this? Here's some steps that we can take to learn. Number one is this. Resist comparing myself to other people. Resist comparing myself to other people. It does nothing but cause jealousy, envy, and conflict. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says this to us. It says, oh, don't worry. We wouldn't dare say that we are as wonderful as these other men who tell you how important they are, but they're only comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as the standard of measurement. How ignorant. Other translations will end that verse by saying, that is not a wise thing to do. It is ignorant. It is unwise when we begin to compare ourselves or the things that we have to how God has blessed other people. How do you react when a friend of yours or someone you know gets a new car? Does it cause a little twinge in you that goes, man, I wish I had the new F-150? It does in me a little bit. Just being honest with you. I see it. I'm like, man. I, so here's what I've had to do over the years as I've, as I've learned to be content with what I have. As I pray this very simple prayer when I feel that start to well up in me. Now, it may not be an F-150 for you. It may be something else. But when you start to feel that twinge up, here's a prayer that you can pray. God, thank you for blessing them with their new car. You know what that does for us when we pray that? Or what it does for me and what I think it'll do for you? Is it changes your focus on what you want and you're giving gratitude back to God. You're acknowledging that he is the giver of good gifts. Your focus changes. And what I've found for me is, is that it steers me away from this terrible trap of coveting things that are not mine. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, 9, don't compare. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Comparing does that to us. But there's a second step in learning to live with, in, in contentment. 
It's rejoice in what I do have. Rejoice in what you do have. Ecclesiastes 5.19 says, If God gives a man wealth and property, he should be grateful and enjoy what he has. It is a gift from God. Listen, we wouldn't have anything if it wasn't for God's gifts. It is all from him. Now, you may remember back when we did our fall spiritual growth campaign, the 40 days of prayer. You may, you may remember this exercise. If you don't, I would encourage you to do it. If you, if you did it, I'd encourage you to do it again or look back at your notes. But the exercise was this. It, it, it had us um, write out the alphabet, which was really easy. Most of us could do that one pretty quickly, right? A, B, C, D, E, all the way down to Z. You can figure that out. And then you spend a few moments writing a phrase or a word that goes with each letter of the alphabet of something that you are thankful to God for. Do you know how powerful that is? Do you know why it's powerful? Because there you've got uh, 26 things, right? 26 letters in the alphabet. I just went brain dead. God, that's embarrassing. Got to go back to school on that. But anyway, um, 26 things that you have now thanked God for. It gives you a whole new perspective. A whole new perspective on how he has been absolutely generous to you. God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, according to 1 Timothy 6, 17. Here's the key to this, though. It's understanding and knowing that it's what God has given you, not what he's given to other people. What he's given you. I don't know why God gives some people more resources than others. I don't know why. But thank God for what he's given you. Ecclesiastes 6, 9 says, It is is better to be satisfied with what you have than to always be wanting something else. That's absolutely true. There's a third step to learning contentment, and it's this. It's refocus on the Lord Jesus. Refocus on the Lord Jesus. Philippians 4, 13 says, I am able to do all things, those things of of living in contentment that we read in um, 4, 12, through Jesus who strengthens me. The Apostle Paul is stating there that he learned contentment in all situations in life because of his focus on the Lord Jesus. You see, Jesus is better than money. Jesus is, he, um, he is better than human love. He is better than earthly pleasures. He is better than anything. You fill in the blank, Jesus is better than all of those. C.S. Lewis was helping, he, was, he was writing and he was helping people to understand earthly pleasures. And he described them as kind of like the rays of the sun. Here's what he says. He says, earthly pleasures are supposed to function like rays of the sun that direct us back towards the source. As the ray warms our face, we look back up along the ray towards, to its source, the sun. So, marriage and money and children and fa- friends and good food and all kinds of other things are all shadows and reflections of God's true goodness. See, when we start to look at our things that we have or the relationships that we have as gifts from God, it helps us to know and understand Him a little bit more and helps us to fall in love with Him. Jesus is better than any earthly power. There's no greater sense of empowerment than to know that the Creator, the Sovereign God, knows you and loves you. There is huge power in knowing that. Jesus is better than popularity. To be known and honored by God, the God of the universe, is better than getting acclaims from anyone else. Our audience as followers of Christ is not one another. Our audience is not the world. Our audience is God. 
J.D. Greer, pastor of Summit Church, he wrote a little bit about helping us to understand this. And I want to read this, uh, his, his paragraph to you. Because I think it will help us to understand this a little bit more. He says, Our ability to be joyful in all things is the measure of how much we believe the gospel. Sometimes we know that Christ has taken all of our sin, but his approval just doesn't carry that much weight in our lives. Other things begin to matter more to us. The amount which you understand the gospel is measured by your ability to be joyful in all circumstances. If you truly grasp what treasures the presence and acceptance of God are, then even when life goes really wrong... You will have a joy that sustains you because you'll recognize the value of what you have in him. When life punches you in the face, you'll say, but I still have the love and acceptance of God, a treasure that I don't really deserve. And the joy you find in that treasure can make you rejoice even when your nose is bloodied. You have a joy that death or deprivation can't touch. That is why the Apostle Paul could say, From the confines of a Roman prison, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It is the reason why we as Christ followers, when we lose people that we love, that we talk about, yeah, we're sad, we're grieving, but we don't grieve without hope, right? Learning to be satisfied with Jesus will free you to enjoy everything else. You see, when we make Jesus our number one priority instead of our things or our relationships our number one priority, it actually will free us to enjoy those other things more because they won't have control over our lives. Jesus is the only one who should play the role of God because he is the one that will give us everlasting joy. So what do we do to get this everlasting joy? Well, listen, there's two groups of people that are in the room today, at least two groups of people. There are some of you that are not yet followers of Christ. And then there are some that are followers of Christ. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, let me speak to you first. This all starts and begins with a relationship with Christ. It is not about you trying to keep a simple list to make God love you. It's not even about you trying to do better. It really is about you following Jesus. It starts with Him. And so how do you do that? Let me walk you through it. You repent first and foremost. What does repent mean? It means that you admit to God and to yourself that you are a sinful person, which means you've chosen to go your way and not God's, and that you need forgiveness, that you grieve over that sin, and that you want to turn away from it. Luke 15 verse 7 says this, I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. When you repent, it makes heaven smile. Second, you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That means you, that you, don't only just, you don't just believe in the historical Jesus, but you believe that he actually was the Son of God who died on the cross as a sacrifice for your sin, and that he rose from the grave three days later to beat death and to reconcile you to God. You believe that. And that you need to know him personally. Ephesians 2 Verse 8 says, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. And then you confess. You confess your faith publicly. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. There's a number of ways that that can 
that can uh, take the shape of. One is uh, next week um, for Easter weekend, we begin doing our outdoor baptisms again. So every Sunday from next Sunday till it starts getting cold again sometime in October or November, we'll be out there um, for you to be baptized if you want to go public with your faith there. Now, I want to be clear, it's not that baptism saves you, but that is one of the ways that we go public in our faith. You can let us know if you need to follow Christ by checking the box on the back of your communication card. But let me, let me turn quickly to those of you who are followers of Christ. What do you do? Three quick things so that you can have joy. Remember the gospel every day. The gospel is the announcement that God has reconciled you to himself by sending his son Jesus to die as a substitute for our sins. Remember that on a daily basis. Second, confess your idols and counterfeit gods to the Lord and ask for his forgiveness. Confess it. Here's the good news, y'all. Our sins are already forgiven. But this act of confession helps to restore our hearts in a right relationship. It's acknowledging to him. We're agreeing with him. And then third, Rehearse the gospel prayer by praying this very simple prayer on a daily basis. Lord, your presence and approval are all I need for everlasting joy. Let that be a mantra for you. Let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. If you were of that first group of people that need to have a relationship with Jesus this morning, then you can tell God something like this. I want to lead you in a prayer. You can tell God something like this. Lord Jesus, to the best that I understand it, I ask you to come into my life to be my leader and my forgiver. Lord, I confess my sin to you. I turn from that and I ask you to forgive me. Lord, thank you for doing that. Again, if you prayed that prayer or something similar to that this morning, let us know by letting us know on the back of the communication card. There's a box that you can check. Now for all of us that are followers of Christ, Lord, your presence and approval are all that we need for everlasting joy. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you would like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword DOGWOOD to 77977 or click the Give link online. You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcast, video, and to give.